What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. If you're looking to build an elite team and organization, you're going to need to be skilled at accepting and empowering the differences amongst your team. Let me give you a little bit of background on Ashley. She's the founder and president of Empowering Differences. And that was an organization that she spun up throughout her career. She's spent time in major financial institutions. And during her time there, she overcame harassment, discrimination. There was a stint of homelessness that uh, she went through. And all of that led to her building a level of resilience, but also empowered her to make the necessary changes to move her career forward. When we look at the journey that Ashley has been through, her gender, education, ability, and religion all played key parts in her journey to empowerment. Once she's transitioned out of her senior and executive level leadership position in the banking industry, she's spun up Empowering Differences. Through her work at Empowering Differences, she's been featured in multiple publications and by multiple organizations. She's served on a number of boards, won a number of awards. Her broad experience and work is focused on empowering, empowering everyone to become the best version of themselves. Ashley Brundage, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you, Dr. Jim. You and I have talked before, so I'm, I'm pumped to have an opportunity to chat with you again. A good place for us to get the ball rolling is for you to fill the listeners in on any of the things that I left out in your bio that you feel is important for them to understand about your background, your experience, and that's going to inform this conversation that we're going to have today. The thing that really was the catalyst in me stepping away from the corporate sector and leaving my job as the national vice president of DEI was the fact that I published the best-selling award-winning book, but I decided to take that a step further and turn it into a global research study. I really wanted to know the answer to three important questions about people driving empowerment for others. One is, what is empowerment? Because it's very much an ambiguous term that people use very differently depending on what they have access to and where they are in the world. So those answers were very much all over the place, but a lot of them centered around resource allocation and people having emotional ties to things in the world. So the second question I asked people in my global study was what do, what impacts their empowerment along their journey? And really actually 63% of the people told me it was things that impacted them around their own self, their own makeup, their own access to resources, their weight, their height, their hair color, their social economic class, how much money they had in their pocket, how much money they saved for retirements, how many languages they spoke, how much certifications and degrees they got. All of these things, 63% of what other people were telling me really was empowerment to them and how it was impacting them. And the remaining 20, 30% of the people who told me what is impacting their empowerment told me it was societal impact issues like race, 
religion, gender. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to do a global study and I'm going to be finding out this important information. I've never linked to something that's going to make an impact for people. So the last question centered around the impacts and what do people do to drive empowerment for other people? And so those became the 10 empowering actions, of course, for my resource and my re- my original research. And I decided to expand our learning platform to include all of the things that were found from this local study. And this really impacted the ability to help others really understand empowerment, but also how they could understand what to do to drive empowerment faster based on the differences that we have as a human. And I was like, oh, wow, I feel like I just hit the lottery. And this really made an impact. And I would probably say that it's really what's driven me to continue down this path of being an entrepreneur, uh, leveling up to add tools and resources to help people on their journey. I really appreciate you sharing that, that context. There's a couple of things that I'm curious about related to what you mentioned. And a lot of the conversation that we're going to have today is going to be in and around the topic of empowerment. But one of the first things that you mentioned was the issue of resource allocation. And I'd like you to expand on that a little bit and tell us what's the relationship between resource allocation and your ability and success at creating an empowerment culture. It stands on being able to capitalize or memorialize where you exist in the world because different people have access to resources. And sometimes our differences impact that. As someone who's been homeless, I know literally everything there is to know about trying to stretch resources as much as possible and being able to find a place to hang my hat on. This process of what you go through to operate each day is a, is a different thing based on what you have access to. When people are trying to drive diversity, equity, and inclusion, really this path of equity centers around resource allocation. You don't know what people have access to. If you have people on your team and they don't have the same resources, they're sitting there wondering, okay, I'm in the career band, I'm in the pay range, I'm in all these things. And then at the end of the day, but did anyone really ask me what my current financial position is? Do I have other jobs? Do I have other investments? Because all of those things are going to impact my journey as an employee, potentially in your organization. So this is why resource allocation is so important. The people who are on the first day entry-level job versus the people who are the CEO, they're going to all have different resource allocation. And this is why it's so important because their people are always wondering what someone makes, and it's always on their mind, especially people who live paycheck to paycheck. And living paycheck to paycheck is part of how our world works, unfortunately, for so many people. And this is why it's so important to have this broader understanding of what resources they have access. I think the perspective that you bring to the table when you're talking about access to resources is actually at least informed by your career trajectory in banking. So I think it's worth some time to talk through how that lens of experience informed the resource conversation that we're having right now. I grew my career twice in two different industries from making $4 an hour in the restaurant industry, non-tip, to be HR point person and leader of a team of 50 people. Then on that journey, and then the restaurant industry, it's a much different environment than working in the banking industry. 
Plus, I did that in one gender. And then I did banking industry rise from a part-time bank teller to becoming the national vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion in four years in a, in a different gender. And having seen both environment. I have to tell you how people are treated, how they're respected, how they're listened to. All of those things were extremely different. And also how I was treated based on my income level and based on what I had access to. This is why I always try to make it seem like no one would ever know that I was homeless. This is why I tried to dress three levels above my current position. People would walk into the bank and think that I was the manager based on how I was showing up to work in professional attire and, and whatnot. And so all of those things impacted this. So I, I think it's really important for people to realize you can learn so much from so many different people around the world. This is also one of the reasons why I try to tell people, like even your Uber driver, right? Could be the most powerful person that you speak to today. You literally never know. This is so long, it's so hard sometimes, but we don't think that the people who we talk to could literally be someone that could give us expert advice. But if you treat everybody like that, then this is where you can always uncover a knowledge piece that you never thought you'd understand before. So I really like that point that you just made about theoretically the Uber driver that you're with could be the most powerful person that you encounter in the day. But oftentimes we're trapped in this positional authority mindset. If somebody looks the part, if somebody acts the part, then we think they are the part versus a broader perspective. Do you have any insights to share that would help folks break out of that narrow view of what authority looks like or what wisdom can look like. It really comes down to emotional intelligence. And the more things that you can do to center around how you exist in the world and what you feel and how you memorialize that is really important. One of the things that we create as a resource for anybody who goes on our website is our empowerment self-assessment questionnaire. This questionnaire results of 21 open-ended questions to get you thinking about your existence in the world and what empowerment means to you, how you interact with others, how you move about the world, and how your differences are impacted or impacted by the power. These are things that are going to help you to come with your own existence, but memorialize it. And this is part of our problem is that in the society we live in now, it's all about what have you done for me lately? How fast can we get from point E to point B? How much AI can we create? So that way it gets us from point E to point B faster. And those are all well and good. But at the end of the day, for us, in the space of providing resources for humans and emotional intelligence, if we don't actually learn it in relation to our own words and reading our own words that we've written down, and then going back six months later and then reading what you wrote six months ago, this is a very powerful exercise that can actually result in you acquiring the most powerful thing that you will ever acquire in your journey to emotional intelligence. And that self-actualization is like your big, huge excitement moment that you can acquire when you're on this journey of helping you understand your power. When I opened the show, I made the point through you that if you're a leader who isn't leaning into the differences that exist within your team, playing to the strengths of the people on your team and empowering those differences to show up, 
you're really not setting yourself up for success. How is that related to some of those game-changing realizations that you had through your career that helped you build a team? It really comes down to navigating your awareness of what we call the top 10 empowering difference. These 10 empowering differences impact everybody. And what ends up happening a lot is when we do diversity work, we tend to pigeonhole diversity work to just be about race, maybe gender, maybe a couple of other things. And then when we're looking at it in that construct, of course, we're going we're gonna to make some of the people feel like it's not about them and then it doesn't involve them. But really, the definition of diversity is the presence of differences that make us all unique. So technically, every single one of the eight and a half billion people on the planet are different. So that means diversity applies to everybody. And so this is a really hot button topic, especially in these days where we're creating, sometimes we're creating legislation to go against diversity education, or we're trying to eliminate DEI seats from organization. And it just makes me think, well, how this seems like really counterproductive to what we're ultimately doing. But what really needs to be the focus here is that the leaders who really go work to empower, to be empowering differences, right? They're the ones that are learning about the differences and realizing that that's an actual statistical advantage to having somebody who is different than your team. If you only hire the best person and think that just by hiring the best person is going to get you to navigating the best team, well, that's fantastic. But if in your rubric, the best person doesn't also equal having different people on your team, then you're missing the best person. And this is exactly why this is so hard is that our systems aren't built that way. You're not going to be really going out there looking to hire someone who's a proud out woman of transgender experience to be on your team. But at the end of the day, my lived experience, actual statistical benefit that you take into account on your rubric, then something seriously wrong because I'm going to open the door to building a relationship with 2 million additional people is in the United States of America that maybe you didn't already have an road and that you're already not selling to. And then if I'm going to also say, hey, by the way, I can also create the road to the $1.7 trillion buying power of the LGBT business community and the estimated 1.4 million LGBT business owners in America, you're not thinking about all these things while you're interviewing me, comparing me to the person who maybe has more education or maybe has more lived, more work experience in that field. And you're not also tabulating my lived experiences as an actual statistical benefit on your rubric, something seriously wrong. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that I think deserve some additional context. You mentioned the buying power of the LGBTQIA plus community. You also mentioned the, I think it was 1.7 million people in the U.S. that are part of the transgender community. Or more than 2 million uh, estimated. And and those statistical numbers are really old. It's probably way more than that now. You're not pulling those numbers out of thin air. And there's actually a use case and case study in your own experiences of how you actually drove business impact because of who you are and what you did. I'd like you to share with us what that story But I also want you to connect it to the business impact that any business can achieve by being focused on DEIB initiatives. You just mentioned that there's all sorts of trends and legislation that's going on that is 
designed to get DEIB out of the workplace. What's the impact of that if that actually becomes true? I was the top sales producer at DNC Bank for three, three straight years. And so I delivered on my promise to deliver relationships in the community and to grow and cultivate this. I got inducted into the Employee Hall of Fame in my fourth year working there. That was the fastest anyone had ever done that. There was only like 300 lifetime employees in the Hall of Fame still. They just awarded a, a new Hall of Fame class this year. And I still have a great relationship with many people there at that organization, even though I don't work there anymore. And I think the testament to why it's so important to think outside the box, potentially when you're hiring people and look for someone who it, it maybe is your normal hire. But the other piece to this is when you do that, you bring in someone different to your organization. If you don't have some type of program statement or policy for DEID, all of a sudden that person could feel really out of place. Yes, I was extremely different than all the people who were working in the banking industry. But at the end of the day, I felt comfortable enough to be a part of the team and be a part of the program because there was a program. And so that's why it's so important. I feel like I'm hopefully answering both your questions at once, but this program and these programs for diversity, equity, inclusion, or belonging, or whatever we're calling it today, idea, Jedi, you name it, these all center around helping people feel welcome and being a part of the group, learning and growing, and not cutting and running when they feel like they're all the only one. And it's also the opportunity for, and let's not cut sugar or anything, the white cisgender straight guy to come into this space and also learn about the difference. Every time I show up at a pride event, an employee resource group or business resource group or DEIB event, and we're talking about the LGBTQIA plus community, we're talking about the disability community because I belong there as well. Or if we're talking about women and I belong there as a triple certified minority diversity of firm, I'm moving in all three of those spaces often. And every single time I look around the room and I do a whole little scan and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I really hope that there's a lot of people who really should be here to learn about these lived experiences. And what ends up happening is about 90% of the people who show up to these kinds of educational forums and events is really the marginalized community of the ally. And when it's just the marginalized community and the allies, we're not actually conducting systemic change. So I have a challenge to DEIB and DEIB practitioners and programs and policies is to find a way to create your platform to make it so overwhelming that all of the people who really need to learn about this educational forum topics that really technically are leadership learning opportunities should be in that room. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. 
Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. When I take inventory of what you said, there's sort of two key things that I want to pull out of there. One, and this is evidenced by your Hall of Fame status at, at PNC. The reason you got there is that you're a member of the team that look like the community that you serve. So that's a general principle that businesses should take. If you want to build an elite team, an elite organization, a high performance organization, you have to have team members that reflect the communities that you serve. So there is that lesson that's drawn out of there. But there's another component that you mentioned too that I think is important. Theoretically, you can hire for diversity across all the different spectrum and dimensions of diversity. But the thing that stood out about that, what you just mentioned is that you have to have the infrastructure in place first. You have to have a policy. You have to have a stated goal. You have to have values that align with it. And then you have to have action and leadership buy-in that cascades that down into the organization. Just hiring isn't going to be enough. And John Graham, he's, he's an author that I've had on, on different shows before. He often says, why would you hire people and bring them into a burning house? And the burning house is one that doesn't have the infrastructure to support those diverse communities that you're hiring. So that's the other aspect that I think is important to call out. You mentioned something in the last part of your answer that if the DEI ecosystem that you have within your organization is just allies and people from underrepresented groups, you're not going to make an impact. And right. your call to action for DEI leaders and practitioners was to create as welcoming an environment as possible for those that don't fit into those two categories. So tell us a little bit more about what are the things that DEI leaders and practitioners should be doing to create that welcoming environment for people that aren't naturally aligned to DEIB mission and objectives. Honestly, to quote myself from USA Today last month, what, what was DEI called before it was called DEI? If we go back in time, DEI, diversity, affirmative action, EEO, civil rights, women's suffrage, you name it. And then ultimately we get to the point where leadership and people who are in charge were all white guys, especially in America. At that point, what was the call? Because there still was a program and the program ultimately was called leadership because whoever was in charge learned as much as they could about the people who were different so they could make more money and sound more crap. Why is it we just don't put the script on that and do that meant? So this is literally why I'm the leadership and empowerment expert. This is literally why we're leadership cohorts. This is why I do leadership education. This is why I track and measure empowerment for leaders. So that way we can benchmark and track it over time and be able to provide them a measurable tool that literally tells them exactly how well their empowerment is shifting to their people. At the end of the day, if we don't make DEIB leadership, it will fail. And that's why we have to turn it into leadership because it's a leadership opportunity. It's a leadership conference. It's a leadership event. And, and if you think about it, 
And if you're listening and or you're watching right now and you, and you close your eyes and you literally think about if you had a button on your internet home and it said leadership opportunity, click here. Think about the people who will click a, that button because I can tell you demographics and the makeup of the people who are already going to have the confidence to click that button is going to probably be statistically more the people who really need this edge. One of the things that I, I want to highlight out of your answer is the financial benefit component of it. When you had talked about when you work this all the way back, leaders looked at what can I do? What can I learn? What can I execute to make more money out of this and sell more stuff? There's a financial benefit associated with doing this work anyways. So if you're looking at it from the leadership tier down, if you want to impact your biggest spend in your organization, that's personnel, more of your people are going to stick around in an environment that has, that looks like them. So if you're hiring diverse people, you need to have diversity embedded across all layers of your organization and they're well represented there. That as a result, you're going to get better ideas, more ideas, you're going to have more people stick around and your retention outcomes are going to be better. And here's where the retention component comes in. If you don't do that, you're going to spend a lot of money getting people in the doors. You're going to spend a lot of money getting them onboarded and they're going to be gone in 12 to 18 months because they don't want to stick around in an environment where nobody uh, mirrors who they are or, or is welcoming to who they are. In each of those instances that you get, you're going to spend up to 250% of that person's annual salary and replacement costs. So if you're looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective, if you want to control your costs, build a better ecosystem where people stick around. Great stuff, Ashley. And I always like hanging out with you and, and chatting about this stuff. We've talked about the why and the what. I want to get to the how. We've been spending this entire conversation talking about empowerment, and I'm sure there's people that are listening that are saying, oh, that, all that stuff is pretty squishy. It doesn't really drive bottom line results. How do you measure it and tie it to business outcomes? When I asked people what is empowerment in my survey, I found that 85% of the people told me empowerment was all the squishy stuff we're just talking about, right? It was the confidence and uh, empathy and trust and compassion and validation and understanding and pre hugs. But at the end of the day, 15% of the people told me empowerment was tied by metrics and easy to track metrics like time and money. And I realized that, okay, if we're tracking empowerment and not what some people feel it is time and money. My second question about the differences led me to think, what if we were just tracking people's empowering differences? So we built a proprietary technology that measures and empowering differences in 90 steps. So we deployed a survey for teams, individuals, groups, or entire companies, and they go through and they take the 10 question assessment survey. This is a digital survey. And so what happens is, is people provide a numeric value for their 10 empowering difference, zero for disempowered, 100 for empowered on our site. And then we benchmark, we track it, and then we connect it to the action from our research. So each of the actions have a prioritization list for each of the tenant powering difference. So depending on where your teams rate their tenant powering difference, they get a different actionable insight makeup. Now, the interesting part about the actionable insight makeup is that empowerment, as we've already just could be something that someone seizes control of for themselves, or it could be something that someone shares with others. And hopefully over time, people and, and leaders and people who really excel realize that they should connect their empowerment to people 
Now, while a person is part of people, it can only get you so far. And so that's why making it team-oriented by connecting their empowerment to people is really important. So we prioritize people through our platform and they get the top three differences in action for empowering others and the top three differences in actions for empowering themselves of knowing exactly which differences to focus on. So like for me, I have racial privilege. And so that means I have lots of empowerment for my race. So that means that I should be doing things to drive empowerment for other people's race who are different than mine. And so that shows up differently based on the things that I do. So who I choose to mentor, who I choose to sponsor to come to my conferences on the cruise ship. All of those decisions are made specifically around how I can drive empowerment through my differences for the differences that are going to make the most impact for people. And so that's something that everyone could be doing very easily if they use our digital platform to help them map out where their empowerment should live. And then that ties into the impacts because we're literally able to help teach them how to track the empowerment with the numerate value, but also how to actually track their business successfully. So they can literally tell them exactly how much economic impact they were driving through the city or the county or the, or the company, you name it. All of those things can happen through tracking all of their deliverables around impacting and driving empowerment for people. When you describe the platform, the measurements, the data, the analytics, and the outcomes, when you think about maturity models for DEIB or even organizational development. Like what stage of maturity should an organization have when they're looking at bringing this in-house to give them an idea of what they should be focusing on? All over the place. Honestly, the interesting thing is, is that we do this for the seat beat. We do this for the board. We do this for the newcomers in the organization. We do it for a broad mix of people. But then we do it in different types and different segments of industries. And what we found is that really it's successful wherever we do it. Because at the end of the day, giving people this information around where they are at. And it's honestly being able to choose how empowered you are for your difference is a team building exercise that works for anybody. And then we're benchmarking that over time. So we're doing a before and then after. We provide a change impact score. So if you're doing anything in the HR space and you're wanting to win in the HR space, you're probably paying someone who's a leadership expert. You're probably paying for an employee engagement platform. You're probably playing for some kind of survey or EMPS or platform. You're probably paying for some consulting on the results. And so at the end of the day, you could pay one and have empowering differences come and we can actually provide you a platform that serves all of those seats. We've covered a lot of ground throughout the conversation. I want you to wind this back to where we started from and highlight the two or three key things that a listener needs to pay attention to if they're looking to get started in building more of an empowerment culture. Yes, definitely benchmark and track the empowerment. That's the easy one have the ability to help people connect with their emotional uh, intelligence and their awareness of this. And then don't get caught up in the politics. Be, everything that I do is extremely apolitical in nature. I purpose because I don't ever want empowerment or leadership to be seen as something that's political in one side of the form or the other. This is the reason that I consulted last year 
for the Joe Biden White House. And it's also the reason that I won an award from the governor of Florida. So moving across political parties is extremely important in this space to make conceive that what you're doing actually is legitimate. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so that would be poweringdifferences.com. That's our one-stop shop for everything on our website. And you can follow me personally or any one of my social platforms. Actually, T. Brundage, just all one word. We'd love to connect with you more and give you a demo of our platform and help you benchmark and have a bit for your team. Thanks for hanging out with us, Ashley. I think we really covered a lot of ground in this conversation, and I'm grateful for you hopping on the show and having this conversation with us. When I think about the conversation that we had and the things that stood out to me, there are three things that stand out. One is that If you want to create a culture of empowerment, you've got to first break down your tendency to look at positional authority. Insights and innovation and impact can come from anywhere in the organization. And if we're trapped in this tunnel vision of thinking that it's only leaders that are able to drive this, we're setting ourselves up for failure when it comes to building a high-performance team. The other thing that stands out was your point about there needing to be an infrastructure in place before you start working on embedding empowerment into your organization. And that applies for DEIB in general. You can't just wish it to happen. You have to have some foundational elements that are established so that you can be successful in doing the work. The last thing, and this is arguably maybe one of the most important things, there should be a business imperative to move these initiatives forward. And here's what I mean. There's so much data out there that indicates and that points to increased business performance and outcomes based on the level of diversity you have within your organization. So if you're an organization that is concerned about building high-performance teams and high outcome and impact organizations, you have to be intentional about embedding that representation across all layers of the organization so you've created the foundation and the template for success. If you say that your hiring philosophy is to hire the best people and your team tends to be one demographic or majority one demographic or class, you're not really committed to hiring the best people. You're committed to hiring the people that you're most comfortable with, and that's not going to yield you the results that you need. Again, Thanks for hanging out with us, Ashley. For those of you who have listened to this conversation, we appreciate your support. Give us a review and let us know what you thought. Also, don't forget to join our community, the HR Impact community. You can find that at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And then tune in next time where we'll have another great leader sharing with us their game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.